everybody. Club W is offering our audience members who are over 21 and live in the U.S. a $20 credit plus free shipping on their first order of four bottles of wine as a new member of Club W. So check it out, clubw.com forward slash Dallas, and get your drink on. That was good. Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Tonight, Ranger, veteran, and podcaster Donald Boomenlog, a.k.a. Doc Booma, joins us to share his inspiring tale. From joining the military just before 9-11 to three tours in the Middle East that leads to a different kind of battle against PTSD with little help from the Veterans Administration... Doc Booma eventually rejects their pills, turns to plant medicine, and declares himself saved by cannabis. His podcast, Sick Call, is here to help vets across America to find their way back. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches... And prepare to open your mind for the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode eighty-nine of the Drunken Dows podcast. Back for another great interview this time. But before we get to that, across from me sits Mr. Daniele Bolelli. Hello, guys. Today we're gonna have a hell of an interview. Um, this is gonna be fun. This is just a badass story from some guy who has seen hell to the tenth power and rode right through it. So. I always dig those kind of stories, and uh, Don is the man, so should be fun. But let's give a couple of uh, quick thank you to our sponsors. So Datsusara, Sure Design, and Donnit. Um, about Datsusara, was I actually have a serious complaint about Datsusara. So you know, don't fast forward through these like oh, it's sponsorship. No, no, no. Let's let's be real here, okay? I have a serious complaint about Datsusara that I find Datsusara bags and gears a very real obstacle to allowing me to realize the Buddhist truth about the impermanence of life. Uh How do they do that? Well, those evil fucks at Datsusara make these bags that last forever. And as such, they give me the illusion that things can last and they are not subject to the inevitable decay that all matters will eventually experience. So... Yeah, man, you guys need to do something about it. Make bags that break or something. What, you want this is plastic? Just... Is that what we're yeah, doing? Yeah, this I was is... looking for a watering can the other yeah. day. All you can get is plastic garbage, unless you want to spend $70 on a metal one. Yeah, of course. We're Tough decisions right the, the fancy goods. But yeah, that's what Sarah screws it up. They, are, um, they make stuff that lasts too long, and they don't allow me to become one with the universe and realize the true nature of existence. Well, that's if you think consumerism is the true nature of existence. Right. Go and get a new bag. I think stick with the, the, the indestructible one is going to make you happy. That's going to be a better deal. Good. Cool. Well, yes, thanks to them. Of course, on it with the whole... I've been alpha-braining lately because when I woke up and I'm like, my brain is just not functioning, I do notice the difference. So I appreciate the supply. Thanks, Aubrey. And with that, um, anything else we need to throw out here right now? I'm going to make the quickest mention, kiva.org. 
Do it out. Mysteriously, at the beginning of May, some kind donor, maybe it was a group of people, but they're members of our own team, one of 170 of us, put $8,000 into our account in loans. Jesus. So we've broken $52,000 in loans around the country and around the world to folks who need a little help. And I'm not digging in to find out who this person was. I did confirm with Kiva that the money is real, and it actually did happen. So somewhere in that group of loans of the past two weeks, someone gave eight grand. I like that. And, well, uh, keep whatever. it up, everybody. And please, if you want to join us, kiva.org forward slash team forward slash the underscore drunken underscore Taoist, T-A-O-I-S-T, and you're there. We'll get you to our team site. Uh, there's 170 of your fellow listeners right now. $25 can help somebody get a cow, buy a water pump, a solar system to help power their village. Incredible stuff going on. And uh, the people aren't charged any sort of crazy interest on the money. So Good join man. us. And yeah. Good stuff. Speaking okay. of incredible people, Dr. Puma. We are rolling. In case you guys are wondering why the audio sounds less than crystal clean perfect, it's because I fucked up. I had a whole setup. Today was an interesting day. I, we are supposed to... I never recorded this many podcasts in one day. We are supposed to record three different episodes all in the same day. Uh, save the studio. Rich was coming down. Uh, two different people coming in for interviews, plus an episode that I was going to record with Rich. And, of course, I told Rich the wrong day. So there was no studio, there was no Rich. There were just people looking at me like, why are we here if there's no studio? So, yeah, that was fun. Welcome to Daniele Bolelli having a great day. But on that note, we did manage to somewhat save something. So one of our glorious guests, Donald, how do you pronounce your last name? It's actually pronounced Bumanlog. Bumanlog? Yeah. Uh, I didn't actually learn how to say my name correctly until like about five years ago. Serious? I got married in Hawaii and my family there was like, my, they heard my wife, or well, it was not my wife now, but at the time my fiance, they heard her go, uh, hey, I'm going to be Mrs. Bumanlog. And they're like, what? Wait, how did you say your name? Yeah, like, right. The, in my family from Hawaii, you know, they have the pigeon accent and they're kind of like, hey, what are you, how you say your name? <laughs> and they laughed when she said it again, you know, and they said, no, that's not how you, your name is Bumanlog. There's no G, no G at the beginning. So it wasn't until like five years ago that I actually learned how to say my name correctly. That's but, pretty cool. Yeah, it's Bumanlog. Filipino um, name? Yeah, Filipino. My grandfather came from Ilocosur. Uh-huh. Uh, Apparently, he thought that when you come over here, there was going to be money in the streets. Of course. Opportunity. It's not the way it is. And instead, he was kind of met with like the, the same signs that, you know, Filipinos can use this particular uh, water fountain compared to this one. Right. So some of my family, they migrated from there and came to uh, Hawaii. And then some of them went further on to California, where my, my grandfather was uh, like a farm worker his whole life. He mm-hmm. was a foreman until late 70s, you know, real strong guy didn't start having kids till he's like 60 typical filipino fashion you know and then uh yeah so he came over and then some of them continued to move on to like washington so i have 
But I hear that everybody that has my same last name were somehow related. So. Right. <laughs> There's a whole tribe out there that you don't know about. Yeah, I guess so. That's cool. Well, we managed to save being able to chat. You were driving down from far, far, far away for this conversation. So that would have been a royal screw up yeah, to I cancel on you. So we managed to back to my original point of why I was going down this tangent of we are at my house in a fishbowl with echo and strange noises in the background, but it's better than not recording. So here we go. Well, thank you so much for making the drive and making it happen. No, no problem. That's I don't know cool. how you guys do the traffic and stuff down here. It's kind of... It sucks. Yeah. It really I mean... sucks. I think podcasting helps a lot. Like my ability to tolerate traffic since I listen to podcasts has increased tenfold. Because yeah. at least I'm listening to stuff I care about, I'm into it. So even if you're stuck, bumper to bumper is not quite the same as when you're there with nothing to do, just staring at the license plate in front of you and start oh, yeah. fantasizing in all kinds of ways. So podcasts tend to help. Yeah, podcasting has done a lot for me, man. It it fills in all the 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 empty time, you know, the space where it's like, I'm a much better uh, folder of laundry because of you know, the, the <laughs> podcast. You know what I mean? Um, right. I, I enjoy traffic much more. There's yeah. times where some days I don't, I have four kids. So there's times where I just want to get the fuck out of the house. Right. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? I'll go do groceries or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I put yeah. in my headphones. I'm pushing the cart around. I ain't talking to nobody. Yeah, I'm yep. just listening to something that's going to make the day better. So That helps considerably. A lot, all sort of mundane tasks become a lot better as a result of being able to listen to stuff you want. Or... Oh, yeah. and especially now knowing that you know we're getting our own podcast started, that it's it's pretty much... It's one of those things where at least I, now I know I can vent. You know? right. I'm going to yeah. have something to talk about. Yeah. I carry around a notebook now and I'm like... I write the shit down and we get back to it and we talk to it and we talk about it and we learn some shit from it as opposed to just getting all frustrated right. and trying to break your steering wheel in traffic. Yeah, that's not a good thing. Speaking of your podcast, let's, I mean, we'll bring it up even later into the conversation, but just to let people know, title, where can they find it? What is it about? Um, it's a sick call podcast. So like in the military, when you're hurt, you go to the sick call, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? So right. we just thought, actually, it's kind of weird. We um, had Lisa at from uh, Joey Diaz's deal. Uh -huh. He came over and actually helped us get everything started. And so we weren't, the guy that was helping me, who's now, he's the co-host, Mike Merkeley, he was going to, um, he was just going to originally just help me and another vet, another ranger who was doing the Live to Tell show mm -hmm. as a producer. And he did about 10 combat tours. I did three. So we started a podcast with that. And we weren't initially planning on starting one. But he happens to live near me. We have a lot of uh, similar interests. So he's a vet just like I am. We talk a lot about plant medicine. We talk about, you know, the struggle is real when you have right. kids and you have traumatic brain injury or you have PTSD. We just try to hold each other together and we try to help each other out. And we talk a lot about martial arts. We trained, we met at jiu-jitsu. Oh, nice. He actually spotted me because I had a, a drunk Italian shirt. Oh, no way. And, and so he knew. Oh, and that's then awesome. I had long hair at the time. And he's like, who the hell is this guy? Right. And then he found out I was a cop. And he thought I was an undercover cop at the time. And he thought that I was like trying to set him up or whatever. Right. I, I talked to him about cannabis and about yeah. ayahuasca or whatever. And so we just decided we'd start doing a podcast too. So... Um, Lee was like, hey, we need a name. And so I was like, I have Sick no idea. What podcast is it? So we took a little picture out by the chicken coop in our backyard. <laughs> and fucking before you know it, we're up and, you know, up on iTunes. So nice. Check nice, it out. Nice. Sick Hall Podcast. That's awesome. That sounds great. Well, that's a lot better. Ending up doing a podcast together is a lot better than you busting him as a, for 
working oh, yeah, undercover. No. So that worked out better than he imagined, I think. Oh, yeah, totally. That's I think a... he said he said afterwards, he goes, yeah, I just realized that there's nothing that I'm doing that's wrong. And I go, <laughs> isn't it crazy that you think that you're, because we're talking yeah. about cannabis, oh, yeah. that we're, we should be so guilty about it. And Man, there's a... so many things that I do on a regular basis where I'm always looking over my shoulder and I'm like, I don't think this one is illegal. Let me think that again. No, I think I'm yeah, okay. It just, it just feels so good and yeah, it's yeah. happy. You know, there's so many places like that out in nature sometimes too yeah. where you think like, man, I'm getting I'm getting over on something. Yeah, it's, yeah, this yeah. feeling isn't supposed to be this good, you know. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's play so a little bit with your story. Uh, how did you get, you say you grew up here in California or Hawaii or both? I grew up in California. Um, my mom and dad were both kind of came from backgrounds where... It was migrant farm worker right. type that. So we kind of grew up. My dad ended up becoming, um, after mid-20s, he ended up becoming a prison guard. And so we had a little bit better economic status mm-hmm. or whatever. But we pretty much came. We were, I grew up poor. And right. uh, I joined the military at 17 thinking, you know, that was going to be, you know, what was going to really put me forward. And it, it really helped me to become a better person and to become and to kind of see where see where my end of the line is, you know, like I understood my own limitations, which mm-hmm. is a very important thing as, as an adult. I Definitely. Think. And so that taught me a lot. And then I ended up, you know, down the road of exiting the military I was a ranger and then became a cop and then, um, you know, a detective and SWAT operator and all that stuff. And eventually kind of had a, I guess for lack of better terms, a nervous breakdown and <laughs> um, decided that I didn't need all that shit anymore. I need to take care of myself, my right. family and, um, as a vet, there wasn't a lot of uh, help out there <laughs> from the right. VA. You know, there's a lot of diagnosing. There's yep. a lot of um, pill, throwing pills and promises towards us, but there's not a whole lot of um, actual legitimate help or, you know. You so, mean that's not a solution to all problems? Just give you a just bunch of pills all the time? and uh, Yeah, people it. ask me that all the time, too. Like, don't you think that, like, and originally I was met with a lot of criticism. I used to write for the Havoc Journal, mm-hmm. and my first initial thing that I wrote about was cannabis for vets. And I got met with a ton of criticism because it was like, well, don't you know about lung cancer, this and all science is completely debunked, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I had to deal with all that stuff. And then you have the, you know, the VA that's trying to just push everything onto people. Once you kind of get down that road, it's like you stop seeing, you stop asking questions, you start taking it. And I did that for a long time. And then uh, until that kind of led me to the bottom of that road. And so yeah, because you see how some of that game is played, and not even just for vets only, in general in the medical system. I mean, the fact that people are prescribing Oxycontin like there's no tomorrow, right? Oxy is like, yeah. for everything, is like, take it, take it, take it. And it's creating a huge heroin addiction, of course, because then once they cut you off from Oxy and they're yeah. addicted to opiates, then the cheapest way that you can get it on the street would be heroin, which is the close cousin of Oxy. And so then you end up... It's like the whole game of just throwing super heavy things that have major side effects, like it's candy. It's a really dangerous game. And it makes you wonder how much of it is just a for-profit industry that say, like, we know what the dangers are, who cares? And how much is just people who have just not really been educated where they haven't really, like, a lot of the medical establishment has been passing that as this is the protocol without too many people actually questioning how healthy it is in the long term. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, like I explained to some people, you know, they go, well... If we give them pills, well, it's like, imagine you're deep down in a hole. Somebody throws you some pills. Well, they're going to wear off eventually. You need to, you have to keep that, that mindset somehow. And once they take the pills away, and that's what they did to a lot of vets, me included. Mm-hmm. Initially, they started giving guys um, Xanax for, right. for 
anxiety. And a lot of people don't know, but if you look into some of the stuff for Xanax and benzodiazepines, it's some of the worst um, withdrawals that you can go through. You can die from it. And then there's really? also, you know, these pills that they're asking us to take at 20, 20 something years old for the rest of your life. I mean, yeah, they're carcinogens. They have all kinds of other stuff in that we don't even know because the FDA deemed it safe. I mean, you talk, you brought up Oxycontin. Oxycontin is a Schedule II drug, which is, it's but it's essentially, it, it metabolizes in the body as morphine, just like heroin or right. anything else. And if you look at Schedule One drugs, I mean, being a court-recognized drug expert, I mean, if you really look at Schedule One drugs, the only ones that are illegal are the ones that you can grow for yourself, right. actually. <laughs> I mean... Oxycontin was marketed as a non-addictive form of heroin. Yeah. We obviously know that's not right. true. Right, exactly. You know, I used to handle um, confidential informants, and they would be struggling with this while at the same time trying to work de work deals for the devil, me being the devil at the time, you know, yep. where I'm trying to get them to do this and put things into play. And a lot of these guys were struggling with that. When, that, when they changed the oxy and people could no longer crush it and smoke it and stuff, mm -hmm. there was a ton of problems with heroin. And yeah, that's, uh, yep. I've seen it firsthand on the street all the time. You know? And I mean, it's still very much ongoing now, like the whole heroin epidemic on the comeback. It's oh, yeah. uh, it's direct result of the popularity of Fox. It's crazy. But I guess to go back kind of to the beginning of your story. And uh, so for you, joining the military was uh, sort of a way out in terms of economics, in terms of possibilities. Was that kind of your primary motivation for that as well as I think that I think that I was like really motivated by the media. Like mm. when I was a kid, because I was, I grew up as an only child. So I was a lot of, a latchkey kid, you know, both parents in this day and age, both parents have to work yeah. in order to have a decent place to live and have food and all that stuff. So I understood that, but I spent a lot of time watching, whether it be, you know, I look at the thing Conan when sure. I was a little kid, but then it got into, I just started watching a ton of movies and stuff like that. And initially I first learned about being a ranger from like sure. the Nicolas Cage movie, Con Air, which sounds right. goofy as shit now, yeah. but, <laughs> but I mean, that's how I got into it. And I started kind of reading things about it. I had some family members that were in the military. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that I looked up to in the, that were in my family were in the military because that was essentially the only way to get out and to, right. and to make something of yourself where you were marketable when you came back to get a job and stuff like that. I have, lots of family members that work for things like the gas company and right. electric company and public service and things that you would get a, a, a bump for if you're from the military. Right, yeah. of course. What year was that when you got in? I went in in 1999. So okay. I actually joined in 98 when I was 17. So right. I joined then. I waited my year. I kind of fucked off for my last year of high school and then um, went into the military. I was a smart kid, but I, I kind of sucked at following through with school and stuff like that. So the military kind of helped me in that sense. And then once I went in the military, I joined as a medic. And uh, from there, I just kind of volunteered for everything. I found that I did wrestling and martial arts all my life. Well, I did wrestling all through high school. I did martial arts from the time I was like six. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of prepared me physically for it. So I was in, a, in pretty good shape when I went into the military. And because I would get high on like these PT scores, I'd get offered things like, hey, you want to go to airborne school? And then from there, I volunteered for Ranger Indoctrination Program. And then from there... Just kind of got, like, yeah. I was at the right place Hardcore at the right time, right. or the wrong place at the right. wrong time, however you want to look at it, just because it was the longest time of peace, you know, back then it was, I yeah, thought Yeah, I can get in for years, no problem, get exactly. out. And, and I thought, I thought to myself, you know, hey, when I, I did pretty good on the ASVAB test when I first joined the uh, Armed Services mm -hmm. Vocational Battery or whatever. So I did good on that, and they kind of offer you, hey, do you want a big signing bonus? Do you want to pick your job? Do you want to pick places of station? Right. You know, and this is 
so you kind of at 17 i was like 105 pounds sitting there like you know negotiating my future but i don't know i guess that's legal so i did that <laughs> and uh i i chose the job my dad kind of mm-hmm. was like look you can go anywhere you can do whatever but if you don't learn anything yeah it's going to be marketable then yeah. it's not going to be worthwhile so i did and i by the time I got to the Ranger indoctrination program, I passed all that stuff, and they um, sent me to paramedic school, which is the first time they had done that. So I, at one point, became like the youngest, one of the youngest paramedics right. in the country. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. So at eighteen, I was like working in New York City, patching gunshot wounds, right. and like, I mean, it's just really weird to go from being an only child in a really small area. You know, I right. had a population fifteen hundred people. Wow. Everybody knew every stuff. Right. To, now I'm like thrown in. I remember there was a time I was in New York City working in ERs and this little boy had split his head open and he needed like six stitches. Well, fuck, I look like about 14. If Doogie Howser right. MD, <laughs> like you look at me now, I'm right. me 17 years ago. Right. I walk in to stitch your daughter's head open. You know, it's like, it's like she's like, what the, the hell fuck is this? Is this? Right. right. And of I'm course. like, hey, no big deal. You know, I was like really like really paid attention to bedside manner yeah. and stuff. But I had never seen it that way. I I didn't see how ridiculous it was sure. until, until I, you know, I kind of look back now as an hey, adult. But at the end of the day, if you are able to do it, you're able to do it. Yeah. You know, that's I mean, the I only thing that counts. I remember the, the mother was just kind of like, who is this who guy? Is, is this yeah, a joke? And I'm right. like, no, seriously. I do. And the only reason, I don't know, for whatever reason she believed me and was even with the doctor there, she kind of still let it happen. I would right. have thought, if it would be me, I would have been probably been like, <laughs> no, sorry, we're going to get the guy, guy that's running this department to fix my daughter's right. face or yeah, my kid's yeah, face, yeah. you know? No, that makes sense. The, I guess one of the things that always puzzled me, I mean, for... I've always thought about in terms of uh, people joining the military. And I mean, I know a lot of people who American military, other countries, militaries, you know, a bunch of people that I've known who have gone that route. And I think, I guess, that always freaks me out from my standpoint is I, I hate the idea of going into something where, yeah, at any moment anything can happen and suddenly the possibility for you to choose is kind of gone. And now correct me if I'm wrong about the possibility of choice. Like once you're in and you are for your term, if uh, the government tells you, okay, now there's war against so-and-so. And, you know, if there is a war that you agree with and you want to serve, that's great. But if it's a war that you have reservations about, what happens at that point? Well, I think like what I learned once I peeled back the veil yeah. a bit, right. plant medicine and stuff is that, we always have a choice, mm-hmm. you know, whether you want to, I'm wearing Muhammad Ali socks right now, you know, right. we all have a choice. You can say, I'm just don't plan on doing that. I don't plan on killing people that look like me. I didn't understand that there was a choice then. I was 18 years old. I kind of brought in and then right after 9-11, I mean, it seemed justified. Sure, sure, sure. Now I see kids go off to this. I was at a concert recently where a kid came up to me and was like, hey, I noticed that you have Ranger tattoo on your arm. Mm-hmm. Like, hey. I was planning on doing this. Do you think, like, what do you think about it? And we were at a, at a concert for Revolution in Narco, yeah. which is incredibly, like, about peace and mm-hmm. love. And and I just told him, I said, hey, do you believe in the music that's here? And he's like, how does it make you feel? He's like, good. And I go, well, I come here because I, I didn't feel good for a long time. But right. I found this that makes me feel good, you know? I said, so, but we all have a, a choice to make whether we want to go along with it or not. Ultimately, there's you're going to get in trouble if you yeah. don't. If you choose not to fight and you've and you've signed your deal, um, you signed your life away for the next four years and you right. write that blank check, well then, I can't say that I it, being put in that position that I would not fight, you know, right. because I have and I did. Of course. And um, 
I think it's a lot to put on kids, and I think these people are kids, 18, 19, 20 years old. Yeah, because that's the thing, is like, you know, 9-11, and even the people who volunteer right after, you were already in, but for the people who volunteer right after, you know, Afghanistan, Al-Qaeda, you know, that was mm-hmm. the idea. And then, like, a year and a half later, two years later, you find yourself in Iraq, and it's like, what the hell happened? You know, this is just not I'm, what yeah, I signed I, up I had, for. I had been to Afghanistan twice already, and... Uh, and I'm sitting just like everybody else watching the news at, you know, I was only 21 at the time mm-hmm. and I'm watching the news going, what the fuck are we going to do in Iraq? Yeah, like, right. well, well, I guess I'm going, I'm a ranger. So I'm going to be the first guy to get there regardless. You right. know, and I'm a ranger medic when, at the time I was one of a handful of guys that had my qualifications. So I'm like, I'm going irregardless of what happens. And you get put into this kind of um, ethical quandary of whether do I go because I love the guys to the left and right of me sure. and they have to come home and right. I'm the medic and I need to take care of them or do I say no? And it wasn't ever, and I'm just saying this now, my current line of thinking when I was a ranger, I wasn't thinking like this at all. I was a, you know, I just thought I'm a steely eyed killer and I'm going <laughs> to go and we're going to, you know, light everything on fire and who gives a shit and we're coming home. And, but it wasn't until after a lot of combat, you know, when you, when it really, came down to my heart of hearts, it was like I had the opportunity to re-enlist. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to go to some of the most decorated units that don't exist possible, you know what I mean? And and uh, those opportunities were there, but I guess I made a choice too. Right. You know, deep down inside, I didn't feel so good. I was the only child. Most of my parents were asking me to come home. I'd done over hundreds of combat missions at that point, and I was like, I knew at some point I'm going to die. Right. I mean, and my friends near me, they, they're dead. Mm-hmm. Their kids never see them again, you know? And so I knew what was at stake. Right. And I never, I've always been the type because I guess I grew up smaller than other people and I always have been into martial arts. I understood what realistic limitations were from, of course. from a small, yeah, yeah. as a small kid. Nobody's invincible. And a lot of these guys don't. They right. just go, look, I got the best equipment. I got the best shit. I'm around the strongest, toughest mm-hmm. dudes. And we're going to go and we'll, there's no way we're not coming home. And that's a good... It, honestly, I, sometimes I think about real life and I go, combat was way fucking easier. Hmm. I go out there. I give 110%. If I die, I die. And most of the time, if I die, it'll happen real fast. <laughs> like, Right. But I didn't have the normal sense of what combat looks like to people because I was a medic. I was yep. there with the best shooters, the best operators. And a lot of times I'm a fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. I'm not killing people. I'm just sitting there watching. Right. So a lot of times I get to see kind of process how things go and go, look, that guy didn't have a gun. But I could see why the guy shot him, but he mm-hmm. didn't have a gun. Right. You know, and I start and it wasn't until later. until I started having my own kids and I started thinking about things like drone attacks and mm-hmm. shit. And you go like, if we lived through that shit, can you imagine what those kids are going yeah. through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until, and honestly, what got me there was pot. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started smoking pot, I started feeling like a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more touched with my feminine side. And I started going like, look, this isn't right. So let's get to that. When, when did you start? When were you introduced to cannabis? Um, I got introduced to cannabis about two years ago. Okay, so let, there's a, let's cover that gap before. The, you were so both in Afghanistan, in Iraq, Gazillion Combat Mission, primarily as a ranger medic, right? Yeah, I did. Um, initially, right after September 11th, we were like one of the first guys to go over. And then I was involved in the raid on the president of the Taliban's house, mm. who's Mullah Omar, who's the right. one-eyed guy. Yep. I remember. So we did the, the raid the same night that everybody else parachuted in and they mm-hmm. showed that all on CNN. So we, that was Objective Rhino. So I did that. And then pretty much, I was pretty much like 
we didn't do much the first go around because they rotated another battalion. The way the Ranger Battalion works is there's there's three battalions and each time one person's in one battalion's in charge of being able to get anywhere in the world in eighteen hours to handle business. Right. You know, so basically from stateside to wherever, eighteen hours we're out of a ready bird, to roll. Ready to right. do what we need to do. Acclimatize or not, we do mm-hmm. our mission. So we were there, so we just happened to be the ones that spun up the first time. Then we got brought back. They relieved us because it was Christmas time, and there right. was some stuff going on with Ramadan and all kinds of stuff during that. And it was at the same time. There, it was that year that the uh, the baseball was on strike, and there was all kinds of weird shit going right. on at the time. So they brought us back, and we got to see our family for Christmas. And then I went right back over again for six more months. Mm-hmm. Or actually, no, I went to Ranger School. And I got to suck in ranger school for three three months or four right. months because I recycled. And then I got back and got to go to combat again for six right. more months. Um, and on that one, I was involved in like uh, they tried to kill Hamad Karzai, some mm-hmm. terrorist or something like that. So I was one of the quick reaction force that went down and, and helped Hamad Karzai. And I ended up at his brother's wedding, like wow. eating chicken, watching these guys hold hands. And, and I'm like, we're like, hey, you guys got more of those cold sodas? You know, because we hadn't had a fucking soda right. in like months. Of course. But it was weird. It was um, that day, actually, we were cleaning our magazine. So we're all sitting there like everything's opened up. And then we get spun up. Hey, the Navy SEAL's been shot in the head. And they tried to assassinate the president. Da, 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 right. It's time to go. So everybody's feverishly trying to put their shit back together. And we ended up... Um, Going into Kandahar, and after being shot at on the way in, we did a bunch of gun runs, and half the crew threw up in the in the Bet. bird, and there's only like three of us on the outside that didn't, you know, and we finally dropped down, and I'm thinking I'm going to work on this Navy SEAL. Well, come to find out, I'm talking to the guy that got shot in the head, and he just has a zipper wound like oh, on okay, the inside okay. of his, uh, like it hit the corner of his Kevlar helmet and went around, right. so it came out the other side, so he had like this kind of like friction oh, burn from a bullet. Yeah. If you're yeah. going to get shot in the head, that's the way yeah. you want to get shot in the so head. So we were like, fuck it, it's chicken time. We're going to eat chicken. <laughs> we, didn't get any, <laughs> we didn't have real food. We didn't eat MREs, right. the, yeah. bag mills. Of course. So then that was my pretty much and my second tour over we did. Um, that was the same one. That was one of the missions we did. I also did, um, I worked on uh, um, I worked on Omar Qadir, who's the, the youngest uh I guess convicted child terrorist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I worked on him in the back of a helicopter for a few hours and ended up saving his life. And now mm-hmm. he's been since paroled. So follow the news on that. Um, and then the rest of the time I was just working in a safe house, like on the border of mm-hmm. um, Afghanistan and Pakistan. And just kind of, we were there to kind of start fights essentially and kind of keep things and monitor things going back and forth. And, uh, and then came back again and then I went to Iraq. Mm-hmm. And then we kicked off, and that was obviously what was on the History Channel, um, Haditha Dam. Yeah, for people who um, have not checked it out, um, you want to tell them maybe where they can find it, that special? Yeah, the, if you go to, if you have cable, then you can watch it on historychannel.com, mm-hmm. or um, they actually have held up the episodes, and they're re-releasing this here at, on Veterans Days, because they picked up another four episodes, I think. Mm-hmm. So they're going to put out, I don't know if my episode will get put out again, I sure. was on like the second one, so... Um, if you follow podcasting and you know, Jocko Willink was on the first one and the second one, um, I think it's the second or third one or something like that, but they only released four. Um, but yeah, you can go check them out if you have that deal. It's, it's free. Um, a lot of the trailers are on YouTube. And what's the name of the series? It's called live to tell and it's a docu-series. Basically they take, um, well, because of the guys that, that started it, these producers, two of them are seals. One of them's a a ranger and then they work with Peter Berg. And because they're friends with guys like me and mm-hmm. everybody else that, that are in this community, 
we just kind of they got together and asked us to tell stories and um so it's pretty much firsthand yeah there's no, that's, nothing uh, else other than just firsthand stories of what happened over there and it's heavy stuff like i remember when you showed me an email and we're yeah. emailing back and forth and you sent me the link and i checked it out and i was like holy shit that's some heavy stuff right there that's yeah. the it's crazy. I didn't. I hadn't. I told you my buddy that was on the show with me on my episode, Matt Sanders. He lives right around here, and um, you know, I hadn't. Even with him, we hung out, but I hadn't talked about that shit in right. years. You know, it really wasn't. I didn't talk about none of that shit before yeah. before cannabis, and he was into it, so he would talk a little bit about it. But at the time, I was a cop, and I was just drinking, and I right. take my pills or whatever that I needed to, and so I was just not even dealing with it i wasn't looking at the news i wasn't dealing That's with any of that shit i'm like i'm not watching right. war movies yep i mean i was doing what i thought i needed to do at the time which sure. was hide from it but now I'm not hiding from it. I think feel like you're free when you talk about it. Yeah, you know? no, I mean, because that's, yeah, that not exactly the ideal solution. Like, it never works, basically, because you can't hide from it. It's always there with you. And so it's like, you might as well deal with it because it's yeah. not going to solve itself. There was, on a Hilarious note, I remember in the, in the documentary, there was a moment where I forget the detail, like something along the lines where you just went into some under some crazy fire because you wanted tobacco or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to dip Copenhagen um, back then. So I was like, after being awake for a few days, you don't give a fuck. Right. You know? It's like you switch to survival mode, you know, you right. begin to realize like, eh, I could drink this water that's on the ground if I need to, right. you know, like I could... <laughs> I'll break into one of these. There was a storage facility in there that had all kinds of old food and shit. Right. We were like, we'll just eat it. Who right. cares? I don't give a shit. I'm not going to get sick today. Yeah. I'll get sick in a few days. Right. But right now, I got a few days to get there. Right. Um, we're getting a bunch of you know mortars dropped on us and people keep coming up to shoot at us. So it's like, you don't count for tomorrow. And yep. I think that's what you, I learned a lot from in combat was that like, a lot of times we think shit matters, but it doesn't matter. Right. You know, and so that's a hard deal to deal with, especially for vets, man. When you get back, it's like you go from doing all that and then you have shit. You have right. nothing left. Mm -hmm. You come home, you're sleeping on mommy's couch. You're, you know, you're unemployed. You have no money. You have yep. no stature. You have no, nobody knows who the fuck you are. Right. You've earned badges that are way harder than to earn than the badge that I wore as a cop. But yet that person tells you what the fuck to do, where to yep. stand, where to go. It's just like. We don't value these half, less than half percent of people that have to fight for the freedoms of this country, but everybody is more than happy to explain why they want their freedom. But nobody's that happy to go, hey, look, we should take care yeah. of these guys or at least help them out. Yeah, that's one of the things that's just absolutely obscene that, you know, if you're going to have uh, a strong military, you also need to have a strong after military setup where, you know, you can just say, tell people, OK, your time is up. Shake hands. Good job. Oh, yeah. Here is some pills if you need them. Bye. You know, that's not exactly how you want to handle. And it's funny because you always hear. You know, across the board, regardless of politics, people are always like, oh, respect for veterans, this and that. But it's so many empty words half of the time. Because oh, when is. you look at the reality, it's like that's just pure rhetoric. It's yeah, not... when you look at even, I mean, all these things that you think you're supporting vets. Right? I see people wearing Wounded Warrior shirts mm -hmm. all the time. They're a bunch of fucking crooks in my book. If you look at like all those yellow ribbons that people were selling before, where did that money go? Did right. it go to vets? You right. know? Like, how is it that all these vet charities are have started and been started before the war even started these fucking guys have never gone to have to go get shot at they right. just enjoy the idea of being the person that gets to provide resources to these men who have to go serve and fight and, right. you know, and it's 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 unfortunate because 
I think a lot of times the vets that I see because and a lot of it I believe has to do with pills too because mm-hmm. it makes you feel a certain way it makes you feel less than what other people are and when you get put in that position you you fail to see what you were uh, where you like by the time you finish your what when was your last tour when you got out of the military I got out in 2003 okay and so, so I mean that was just, beginning of the Iraq war yeah when war. I got out in 2003 obviously there was issues like I, I couldn't sleep as much I'd get anxious in certain situations I was drinking a lot more well now I don't really drink at all but right. back then I was drinking a lot like every day so that was my form of numbing things you know and uh So I went down that road, and then once I became a cop, I couldn't drink every day. Sure. So then I kind of struggled through it. I tried to get into running. I tried to do some stuff, and that worked for a while until I started being a detective. Mm-hmm. And then my workload just went from 40 hours a week to 80 hours a week Ooh, when Jesus. I was working. I was yeah. working wire cases as a, as a UC detective. Right. So as a plainclothes narcotics detective, I'm in the back of cars, pissing in jugs and watching people's houses in really shitty areas. And because I was good at it, everybody was like, look, let's get him to do it. Work. And for me, I was in a mindset where I'm like, I don't have to deal with no political bullshit from nobody. I get to go sit in the back of a car and stare at a door. Right. You know, so I would just go do that. And, uh, but that kind of led me down just this road of depression and pills and all that stuff. And then I, finally was like enough's enough i can't i knew that i was strong enough to to overcome this stuff i just was like i'm not strong enough to do it and still please all these fucking people that want me to do something for them of course and so once i got to the point where i was like look the only thing that matters is me my family my kids mm-hmm. um fuck this guy at work all this bullshit and right forget the promotion forget all that stuff i don't even care if they if i even get paid right. i don't even care if i have money because without Without fit, taking care of what yeah. I need to take care of, I'm going to be dead soon. Of course. And that's kind of the way I looked at it. And so, and that's eventually what kind of happened. I, I, and as we got to that, did it come, like, do you feel that whatever PTSD you have from post-combat uh, tours then was compounded by your time as a cop? It kind of, like, got progressively, like, what do you think made it? Being a cop definitely used all of my patience and energy that Mm -hmm. I could have used on my family. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I, even after 10 years as a cop, you know, I never had a citizen complaint. I was one of those highly decorated guys. I never, my, my background squeaky clean, you know, all the way through. I didn't even smoke cannabis until, until I retired and did it correctly. I just, it just, for me, it was... I don't know, I kind of, I'm losing train of thought because my brain's all fucked up. Because <laughs> I, I have too many concussions. But um, what was I talking about as far as... The, I guess the, the growth of the PTSD. Oh, the know, growth the, of it was... Like, was obviously combat. It got worse obviously... having to do with, with a lot of... Um, I had a lot of... I kind of had like a micromanager type mm-hmm. um, person that was in, in charge of me, right. I guess. And then so I tried to promote myself out of that. And the department didn't really like my... The way that I usually just present things the mm-hmm. way that they are. Um, I come from a spec ops background, so I usually don't keep my mouth shut when it comes to deals of safety sure. or when it comes with deals of doing things easier. Um, there was a lot of shit going on that I didn't want to be a part of, you know, just right. tactic-wise. Like, there's people, cops shooting other cops on accident and stuff going, like, that I didn't want to be a part of. Sure. So it was just a, all these other stressors. And then, you know, I was getting... S- sued by somebody some a child molester that i arrested basically that's trying to grasping at straws 
Um, I have at the same time trying to work all these hours and manage my family. And I guess as you just mentioned, concussions don't help. Yeah, and I and I got to a point where I couldn't remember things, and like now I'm not remembering things very well all the time. I write shit down all the time. Are the concussions from your time in the military? Yeah, I was jumping out of the military or jumping out of planes in the military. And when I was a ranger, you know, we we specialize. Our bread and butter is the airfield seizure. Mm -hmm. So. We jump on airfields, which are made of right. concrete. <laughs> you know, it sucks. It's not a pleasant And you hit the ground, you know, 20 plus miles an hour. And you, yeah, you got your elbow pads and your knee pads and your helmet. But, you know, when you're 100 pounds and you have... I was probably 120 pounds and I right. carry about 150 pounds worth of shit. Right. And so, <laughs> yeah, imagine 270 falling yeah. out of an airplane. There's no, like... It's no cool stuff like you see on TV right. or skydiving or whatever. Static line jumping sucks. You just you fall out. You're going to the ground, you your hit brain like, a, got rocked like a pile of shit, right. and you hope that you can you know, divert that energy by doing a parachute landing fall or whatever mm -hmm. and hitting each point of contact and doing all that shit, but you get fucked up. Like, of course. For me, I'd, get, I'd be throwing up and then still having to help somebody else that you know, almost bit their tongue off or whatever. Right. I mean, you think of like, it looks cool on TV, but when you drop a hundred guys onto an airfield, like... A, a shitload of them get hurt on right. the way in. Yeah, know? yeah, before you even get started. Yeah, right, yeah. And just... I mean, we have guys that are tough in the range regiment. I had guys that hop around on compound fractures until the mission's done. Damn. And sometimes you don't have a choice. Like, yeah. I, we had a first sergeant that was 50 plus years old, was an ex professional rugby player. And uh, one of the jumps in Afghanistan, he broke his foot and he walked the whole night. Wow. You know, it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and no, it was broke sometimes. bad, like where broken several places or had, right. it was black and blue, like couldn't fit in a shoe, but he, he walked, he right. didn't care. You know, that's just kind of the way the mindset is in the, in the regiment. Yeah. The guys live by a creed and they stick by the creed and. I don't see that kind of discipline in a lot of other units. No, for short term is awesome. Long term health, oh, probably yeah. not so much. Yeah, but, and he was 50 something, yeah. but he left for like 18 years or something. Right. Went to Australia, yeah. did some like professional um, refing and right. playing of rugby and all that stuff, and then he came back. Right. So, but this guy would, at 50 something, he would run us on every Monday morning, he would run us to Alabama, which was like 10 miles. So. That's... And so that's how he got, got, that's how he was trying to get guys to stop drinking yeah. so much on. Sunday nights, push them. you know you're gonna, you know you have to run ten or twelve miles the next yeah, morning. Yeah, that would be a complete. It limited argument. like what people were doing on Sunday of night course. football and all that stuff. Right, so. no, that makes sense. And so by the time you know you got through all of these, you know, military, being a cop, you were not exactly in the happiest place of your life. No, I was just all I was seeing was negativity, and mm -hmm. I'm constantly riding this emotional roller coaster where the public expects me to hold it together and to, and I was always prided myself on being the the calm guy at mm -hmm. the, at, you know, that didn't add to the problem. The guy right. that wasn't trying to get people out of jail. I think that the, the best way to solve a lot of problems sometimes is just to separate people or mm -hmm. to get things going. So I was always thinking in that sort of mindset, but that doesn't always um, meet stats and it doesn't always, uh, right. you know, make supervisors look good. You didn't put a lot of people in jail. You didn't do Yeah. And a lot of times we don't think that that's a factor, but it is. And so that's stressful, you know, and then when you're going to calls where you're dealing with rape victims and you're dealing with, and then I just got to the point where I just wasn't happy being me. I'd look in the mirror and I'd go like, I, I don't really like this guy. I'm the guy that's kicking in people's doors at 6 a.m. and sending their kids off to school after the SWAT team entered the house. Right. You know? Yeah. Whether 
and it just it wasn't who I grew up wanting to be. Like mm-hmm. as a kid, when I thought of like, what do I want to be? Who's my hero? It wasn't that fucking guy, right? <laughs> and so I think that's a hell of a way to put it. Because yeah, I think sometime yeah. and it was really easy. Like I could have easily. I was a sniper on a SWAT team. You know, I was a plainclothes detective. By all means, I didn't have to wear a uniform to right. work. I didn't. By all means, I was living the dream. I had a mohawk as a cop. You know, right. people thought it was cool. Yeah. But for me, I wasn't happy with me, and so it wasn't me. It wasn't me being honest, and I could have very easily said, look, I'll just fall back on the fact that I was a ranger. People like me. It's cool. Like, I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing, and I could have an easy day, and I'll pay all my bills and all that stuff, but I just felt like there was something else for me. Right. And so that's kind of, it was a, a big risk to kind of step out and... Luckily, the city that I worked for, they really took care of me. They retired me. They medically retired me. They understood what was going on. Um, they said, hey, you're a vet. You've always had an exemplary record, and we want to try to help you. And so at the end, I get paid like half of what I used to get paid. And, yeah, but, but I don't give a fuck. No, I don't have to do work. Exactly. I mean, so, that helps considerably. Oh, yeah. No, that's awesome. The, but in order, before you kind of got to the upswing, the, the times got darker and darker right yeah like i mean got... it got real dark it got to the point where i was that guy sitting on the curb waiting for the va to deliver my pills mm-hmm. and uh, if i my wife would surprise me and say hey we're going to hawaii and i wouldn't think like great we're going to hawaii i would think like fuck i only got three pills left and right. there's no pills coming and i gotta spend a week in hawaii and i'm gonna ruin this fucking trip for my family i already know right because then you're in full addiction because mode on yeah and it's not even it wasn't even so much addiction mode that i felt like i needed it was like well, i had severe anxiety attacks mm-hmm. that were just like even as a cop i would be like i gotta go to the bathroom and i would in the bathroom throwing up and not knowing how and the hard part is that I'm a guy who's been on to the worst places in the world and made it home you know yeah so I know in my mind hey this isn't that bad like I'm not gonna die but my body's doing shit that it's throwing up it's fucking freaking out my pulse is high like I and I understand medicine I understand compensated shock I understand what's going on I'm just like I can't make it stop. I don't know what the fuck is happening. For people who don't understand it, like, how would you explain that? Like, the fact that, yes, you're suddenly in a situation that's considerably safer than when you were, mm-hmm. but you are in a psychologically 10 times worse than where you, where you were. Yeah. I think where you're at when you have PTSD is essentially your body's stuck in a sustained period of stress. Like, you, you lived... I lived in stress for two years straight. Right. You know, where every day I thought I could die. Yeah. Where every... And, and my family was affected the same way you know they didn't know whether i was going to die and i had sure. no telephone contact with them for years yeah. so it was kind of like it had all these residual effects that i just didn't see for the longest time and then when i had to start dealing with them i didn't know how there's right. no there's no answers out mm-hmm. there you know and so the we reached to the va and kind of but before that i mean everything got real dark yeah it was just kind of stuck in the pill thing until one day you know it was i felt like just take them all and so I did, and you know, I I rode that white lightning for a, a day and a half where mm-hmm. I thought I was gonna die, and I had told my family like, look, this is what I did. Don't, sorry, you know, I apologize. I apologize to my family. Like I I just can't, I just don't have the strength anymore to keep fighting every mm-hmm. day. And so I needed something. I needed a, I needed a shortcut. I needed something to help me because I was willing to fight. I just. Sure. Like, I just wasn't willing to fight knowing that there was nothing else yeah. out there. Like, what the fuck is hopeless. the point of all right. this? I was like, I came from this, 
and now I'm here, I'm using pills, I'm fucking, and what's the point? Even if I do get clean, what am I doing here? Yeah. Am I going to be a cop? Am I going to do this the rest of my life? I'm going to drive around in a black and white car and put people in cages? Like, fuck all this, you know? So I kind of got to a point where I was like, I don't want any of this. Mm-hmm. And unless I really change my life, I don't really want a life. Right. And so that's what I had to do. I had to change everything. And I changed everything. Everything from the way that I coped with things, the way that I helped. You know, I was going to to talk therapy with a, with a psychotherapist. And I was going to, I was doing the, you know, initially I started, I was doing the pills. I was staying away from the media. I was mm-hmm. doing all the things that the VA asked me yep. to do. But it wasn't fucking helping me at all. Mm-hmm. Because nobody had the... No, well, first of all, nobody has the understanding that works there because they don't have to go through what yeah, we go exactly. And they also don't have the respect of veterans to be able to look them in the eye and go, look, you need to get your shit together. Right. And what you need to do is get your body back. Start working out again. Right. Start clearing your mind. Stop eating that shit. Stop drinking all that alcohol. You know, if you need to use plants, fucking use them. If you feel like other people look at you bad. Who gives a fuck what they think? You know, like right. I was very much in that stuck in that stigma. Like I'm a cop. What are they going to think? Da, 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 da. Fuck. How'd I do it? Had I had the opportunity to do it again? Who knows? Maybe I would have been the cop that just said, you know what? I got a card and I'm doing it legally and I'm doing it when I'm on my time off and you yeah. guys can all kiss my ass. And I think that it makes me a better police officer mm-hmm. because I'm kinder and gentler and I understand things. Like I could have gone that route and had I get the opportunity again, maybe I would have gone that route, but it didn't, I don't get that. You yeah, know? yeah. So, and nor do I care now. Because... No, and plus you would have been stuck in a situation where you are, there's a constant conflict and you're already like in conflict 24 yeah. seven with this shit. The last thing you need is as you're trying to heal, still be caught in a conflict situation where you have to justify yourself, think of how other people are going to respond. So at that point, probably healthier to just, yeah. you know. I've learned a lot by removing myself from that situation. Of course. I mean, just because, it's so easy to have the same mindset, the same opinions as other people when you're in a herd. You know, right. when it's like when you're in the group, it's oh, easy yeah, of to course. agree. Of course. But now that I'm pretty much like I fly no flag to nobody, not even the United States of America at this point, I don't care. I just take care of me. You know, mm-hmm. at this point, it's like that's liberating. That's freedom, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what we fight for. Right. So why don't we get that? Mm-hmm. We should be able to pick whichever route we want to take care of ourselves. And so whether that be plant medicine or whatever, but there's all these methods that, that don't hurt anybody and, you know, they don't, they can't prove that they're unsafe compared sure. to the things that they're willing to give us. So I think that the government's already proven that they're not going to really take care of us. So we have to kind of do that on our own. And, uh, but yeah, it's a hard road, man. There's a lot of guys that haven't had to face the same adversity that me, that, that haven't, I mean, when I first got diagnosed with PTSD I went and got a degree I got a bachelor's degree in psychology and just tried to figure out what was going on I did all of my coursework right. on PTSD I explained to the instructors I got the VA to pay for it like those things are out there that program's out there but you gotta be willing to do the work sure. you know and so a lot of vets that I deal with now is that initially I wanted to help everybody you know but now it's like as vets we also gotta kinda stand up and help ourselves too we gotta take no, you can't go and talk to somebody once every six weeks and expect that things are going to be fine. Yeah, it of takes course. work every day. Yeah, absolutely. And that's my body wakes up at three thirty to four o'clock every morning because it's scared, and I don't know why the fuck it's scared because I know that I live in a safe yeah. house and I know that I live in a good neighborhood. And I, if I didn't lock my door, probably nothing would fucking right. happen. But that's what time I wake up. So I have to figure out how does that work for me. So now I, I write, I read, I absorb content, I work out, I do which is all shit that I didn't do before because I had to go to work. Right. You know, and so 
I think so many vets are just trying to, and people in general are just trying to keep up, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why we see all these things in society as far as wage equality and all that stuff, because people want to get, people want to be caught up. People want to have a, a solid sense of joy in their sure. life. But for guys, a lot of guys with PTSD, they don't have any joy. Your body no, just course. doesn't produce it anymore. Of course. And so unless you figure out a way to do it, which where I find meditation or long long runs so or jiu-jitsu, like, yeah, all that stuff helps. From but. the deepest style that way on the upswing when you kind of flip the coin and it turned out that the pills did not kill you and you were still there. Mm-hmm. And then like the steps that took you out, like you're mentioning some stuff, like how did it start? Did you suddenly like, was it with your family that you My sat first... down and was like... Hey, something need to fucking change. This needs yeah. To be essentially, done, or... my my wife was kind of like we got to the point where she's like, "Look, I love you, but the constant anxiety and the negative outlook on the world, like I I don't think you and I knew too. I yeah. didn't want my kids to grow yeah, up with a course. guy like me. Of course, you know I wanted somebody that could remember their smile. Yeah. you know, not somebody who just was just an asshole. Of course, and not that I wasn't. I don't feel like I was an asshole to my kids. I just wasn't there the yeah. fully present. Of you course. Know? Um, I don't think anything that I did was completely out of the ordinary compared to anybody. It's just, it's, it was just a bad deal. But Mm -hmm. the number one thing that got me out of, and I can say fundamentally changed me as a person was cannabis. Mm -hmm. And my wife, who's her grandmother was like Sistantina Stanford and they all grew up in Northern California. That mindset was a little bit different. She never seen it as a drug. She just seen it as a plant, you know? And so she was the one that kind of started doing a little bit of research and kind of presented it to me. At the time, I was a narco. <laughs> and I'm like, and right. the crazy thing. Talk about that, the paradox, right? Yeah. And I was looking. So I started looking up stuff on Vice and I started seeing like, well, I started, I seen the uh, Weed Kit episode on Stone Kids and I started, and I go like, this isn't what I thought it was. Right. At the time, I'm a cop. I'm like, I was a I was completely blown away by the fact that nobody died of cannabis. I was like, what? And I had been a cop for 10 years. Right. I didn't know any of this shit. And so I felt, so I knew that I needed to make a change and I was willing to give up my career to have my family. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys aren't, aren't, I don't think. So I did that and my wife took me down to Venice. I met with those little green peddler people <laughs> down there. I paid my, my money and before you know it, I was walking down an alleyway with some dude with dreadlocks explaining the difference between indica and sativa right. to me, you know? And the first time I smoked Blue Dream, the first time I smoked, I hadn't, I used a little bit in high school and then I never used after right. that. And so the first time I smoked, it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders, like I could, I could physically handle everything mm-hmm. again. And so that was a huge deal for me. I knew from that moment, like, I'm not going to go without cannabis for the rest of my life. Like, this is, this is it because it's, I know it's safe. I could use as much of it as I want. Like, I mean, so now I, I grow my own stuff in the backyard. It's, it's accessible. It's cheap, um, you nice. know, and it works. And so that was my first step. Um, but once I started doing that, I started kind of researching cannabis. I, I watched The Union. I mm-hmm. watched um, The Culture High, all yep. those, those types of documentaries. And it got me into Joe Rogan. And then right. I, that was what really changed my life was the Joe Rogan podcast. Mm-hmm. Once I learned about that, I got into TED Talks. I, I heard... In Graham which Hancock's. way? Like, like even like Rogan podcast, in which way was it life-changing? It changed me because it, it opened uh, my eyes to so many different things that I had, hadn't... I wasn't aware existed. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be Dr. Rhonda Patrick or sure. whether it be um, hearing some of these vets that have gone on there on his show... Which at the time there wasn't very many, but hearing them talk about things, hearing Dr. Carl Hart talk mm-hmm. about stuff, you, your deal, mm-hmm. um, I've 
read, I mean, I've, I've listened to a ton of the compilations between like you and Jason Silva mm -hmm. and all, all these guys that are super positive, you know? And when I first got into it, I started incorporating it with exercise. So I, I discovered the Joe Rogan podcast about the same time I made a pact with myself that I'm going to run every day for 21 days because that's what I thought, yeah. right? 21 days is a, right. whatever. I realized I made it about a day and a half. I made it on the side of the street. My knees hurt, my of back course. hurt. I couldn't do it. So I found this. My wife had had um, reconstructive knee surgery, and so we had this little exercise bike. Mm -hmm. So I started going in there, and I would listen to your guys' podcast, and I would stay on the exercise bike at mm -hmm. 5 in the morning when no one else was awake. <laughs> you know, it was dark, and I'd just go in there and close my eyes, and I'd listen to the stuff, and I'd smoke a bunch of cannabis before. And I found that it, I started losing weight, I started feeling better. I was becoming like, that was my drug. I'd go there <laughs> right. in the morning to work out and to listen to podcasts. And so it just opened me to so many different things. And I, when I got turned on to Graham Hancock, I got into his TED Talk. Mm -hmm. And that's when I discovered ayahuasca. And I remember right. just sitting in my living room like, oh my God, there's something out there that could help. Right. And like, what the fuck is this? I've never heard of it. Why have I never heard of yeah. this before? So I started looking into that stuff and, you know, Joe Rogan had Dan. I remember the day the day after I tried to swallow all my pills, the first thing I listened to was Joe Rogan's talk with um, with Dan Hardy on Iboga. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I started, and then I started listening to some of the stuff between him and Aubrey Marcus, and I just felt like I don't care if I have to travel the other side of the world. This shit works. It right. works. You know, Warm I'm done. Yep. With, I need to be free of this mm -hmm. shit already, or else I'm gonna die. Yep. You know, so I I did that. I got into um, started looking into ayahuasca comparing that versus iboga i kind of had to talk my and this is when i had to kind of talk my wife into like look i think there's this something that could help me right. and she's like what you want to go to peru what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you you know you know meanwhile i'm not being the guy that i'm saying this is going to do you know yeah. like and that's a big thing is like if you're not the walking talking version of what the fuck it is that you're advocating for well then no. it's kind of you can't just come out and say i'm going to peru because until you're like you know a good version of yourself they don't really believe that any of this stuff's working you're just a dumb sure. stoner but after over time you know i was able to prove to my family that yeah, yeah i can use cannabis whenever i want and i'm still perfectly functional mm -hmm. and medicated now and i can talk and sure. everything's fine and you know so that was a, a long struggle but then i got into that i ended up in peru and, and ayahuasca really fucking changed me mm. But during those times, I had all the little steps I got into. After Joe Rogan podcast, I got into jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. So I started off in white belt. You know, I competed at PAMS last month. Nice. Uh, and I've met a family through there, you know. And so that's been my sense of, of um, like you say in your book, and I still have a copy of your book right now that I keep <laughs> highlighted and stuff. But that has a sense become my spiritual place, yeah. you know. And you can learn, like you say, you can learn more from getting hit in the face than you learn from years of, of psychotherapy. And... Jiu-Jitsu helped yeah. mold my ego to a much mm -hmm. more healthier place. So all of these things, I use them all. Like I don't think that there's one mode. Like people ask me, does ayahuasca fix everything? But like, none of this shit no, fixes right. anything. You take mushrooms. I do microdosing of mushrooms and LSD. Um, and yeah, it helps. But you it's, still, so it's a little bits, piece. Right. You, know, you got to put it all together. It's a puzzle and it only, you can only find what works for you. You know, yep. For you, archery may work. Or for me, sure. Jiu-Jitsu may work. Or for some people... That's just too hard on your body or it takes, requires too much concentration. They may get into writing. Like yep. writing was a big therapeutic thing for me. Mm -hmm. I started writing for the Havoc Journal and that really um, met me. I, I met other people and it allowed me to kind of get some of this shit off yeah, my chest. Of course. Which I'm sure you're more than familiar with, you know. No, definitely. That's, that that sounds insanely healthy in terms of once all those pieces start clicking together and one leads to the next, that leads to the next and yeah. so on. 
that's where yeah man it's like i noticed when recently where i mean i've been trying the last few years but there was always something either time management or uh, just my body breaking down or something where i could not train like it was the first time in my whole adult life when i was not training regularly martial mm. arts and not surprisingly well i mean that's not the only reason but it certainly went with it my mood my mental health was oh, yeah. considerably less stable than it had ever been where i was like and now where i feel at a healthier place and it's been you know inches by inches it's not mm -hmm. that i was ever completely into the dumps all the time i would come out and go back in come out go back in a little bit better each time but then oh no it feels like i'm sliding now where i feel at a place where i actually am training the feeling where it's like oh fuck this feels so good where it's just oh, yeah. every two three days you get to push the reset button and you finish work it out and you feel light you feel like all this shit that's weighing you down is like in the background it's somewhere there it's there you haven't you know it's not that you go sweat and you solve all your problems they are still as big as scary as where you left them but you feel differently about them and they're oh, it's such a damn good feeling man. oh yeah just, there's something that's happening there like around yeah. I don't know. For me, fifty an hour minute, hour into jujitsu, oh, yeah. fifty minutes, hour into jujitsu. Like, I mean, there's something dumping. There's chemicals going yep. through my body Absolutely. that make me feel good. That everything's okay. You, <laughs> you know, know what I mean? There like, was some dude that I would meet. So we would go together uh, to lift weights, and I don't even lift that much. Or that, but you know, every so often we would do like once a week or twice. And he would say that regularly. Like by the time he met me, I was kind of like, hey what's up you know i'm kind of like very you know not very edgy but i'm just to the point yeah. and he say about three sets in four sets in is where suddenly i get my last moment i put it up and then i thought of like so what's going on you know yeah. and my whole demeanor has changed yeah, you know but... suddenly now i'm ready to engage and i have uh, and i'm not there like waiting to i need to pull the trigger here i need to go for you know it's like oh, now yeah. i can run now i'm human again now we can talk you know yeah it's... we need that stuff i mean i know i can tell the difference if if there's two days that go by that i don't mm -hmm. do exercise it's like what the fuck my yeah. body's like pissed off i i can notice that i catch myself like jumping on things that I shouldn't be oh, yeah. and that Thought kind of stuff. And a lot of times I'll just go, oh, you know what? I just need to go to jiu-jitsu. Yep. Or my, really what I got into, what's really saved me a lot too, which is something I've kind of gone away from recently, but was really good for me was the Wim Hof method. Oh yeah. You've been doing it? Yeah. I bought the deal um, and I started doing it. I did it for about two months straight and I got it. I did the course and I got into where I went up to Big Bear and was doing some cold weather yeah. stuff and but it and but the the retention exercises, the breathing, that really really helps energy level and stuff like that. But it's just, I guess, I, I noticed that for me, cold showers were the best. They snap really? me out of anything because you know, no matter how anxious you are, you get in a cold shower, you're you're freezing your ass off. Yeah, of you know? course. <laughs> but I'm just I turned in such a bitch recently <laughs> because I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm happy with where yeah. I'm at. You know that it's like. I don't really want to go freeze my ass off again today, you know, but I, I, I know that I need it. And yeah. there's times where I, my mind goes, it's so cold, but then I go, motherfucker, just your body. Just put your body in the cold water. You don't even need to be present. Just right. go there, put your body there for three minutes and then come out, you know, and you'll feel better afterwards. And all you have to do is just have the fucking wherewithal to sit, stand there. That's right. all you got to do. This is the easiest job you'll ever do is stand there and maintain your breath, all right. you know? And there's days where I do real good, and within 15, 20 seconds, I don't feel cold. But really? then there's days where I freeze all the way through the whole fucking yeah. thing, 
And usually I'm like a punishment kind of guy. I'm like, oh, well, I'll just stay longer. Maybe I just need a little more. Maybe I need more. And before you know it, I'm just like, I'm psyching myself out yeah. because of the next go around. I'm like, man, do I want to do that again? You know, but it's, it works. Right. That fucking Wim Hof stuff works. Like he's serious when he says anybody can do it. Like it didn't, I went from, when I started doing Wim Hof, I started running again. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started, decided I'll train for pans and do yeah. that stuff. And I started running where I got to where I could run a half marathon, no problem, every day with just doing that deal. Jesus. Like, and went from running almost like two, three miles a day to run, wanting to run 10 plus every day. Wow. And it was just, and I do the breathing technique while I'm running. Bam. And you don't even feel it. Like you could feel your, your shin splints go away. You could feel whatever pain you're doing. Like as soon as you start flooding your body with all that oxygen, you feel good. Damn. Okay, you need to teach me. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. But it's the same thing. It's that same pranayama breathing. The right. same thing that like uh, Tony Robbins talks mm -hmm. about. He does every morning. Like Hicks and Gracie did it in yeah. the movie Choke. It's all the same shit, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, Wim Hof teaches a way where you're holding your breath afterwards. And I got to where I could hold my breath for four plus minutes at Jesus. a time. And it would be your body vibrates with like feel good energy. Right. It's, it's awesome. I mean, the I same mean, halo of, of energy you get around your head when you take like psychedelics, right. that's what you get from this. And it's nothing. It's oxygen. But that's like what you think, like how stupid the way are set. Like that's the shit that should be taught in school yeah. on day one, you know, where everybody should learn how to do that the same way as you learn how to wipe your ass. You know, yeah. it's kind of like basic. It's stuff that everybody should. Yeah. How many people are one thing away from just ruining their fucking life? Oh yeah, yeah of course. And you know, and we don't teach any coping yeah. skills. Right. It's like, uh, I was going to become a high school teacher after I got out and I did, I did, uh, the coursework at USC. I did the first two semesters and then I started working in the schools and I was just like, I can't deal with this. Right. Like this is too much stress for yeah. me. You know, you got a 12th grader that doesn't know how to speak English yet and you're pushing him along still and I'm yeah. supposed to help him out. Like, I don't get it. Like this system is not working no, for me. That's not and so, yeah, like you said, these are things that the VA could be looking at these things, whether it be martial arts, whether it be breathing, whether it be yeah, plants. I mean, this is renewable basic. sources of, of medicine that's easy, accessible. It costs less money than paying fucking Baxler and Pfizer and all these people a bunch of money to pay for meds. Now, completely. Yeah. And look at, I mean, Wim Hof, what is it? Breathing. Yeah. So you don't even have to get into the people. Oh, cannabis, scary drug. Okay, yeah. okay. Out. Yeah. Not for you. Uh, the martial arts scared of injured like breathing it doesn't get any more basic mm -hmm. than that yeah. just give it a shot if it doesn't work what have you done you breathe okay that's a big deal you know it's yeah. not like no big just try you know it's a matter it gives you another tool in your belt you know yeah. like for me like I know that I can't maybe I won't re rely solely on the Wim Hof method but I know that if no, you give me, but the, like if you give me a minute right. and I need to change my mindset I can go in the other room I can breathe for a minute and I can come back in and be in a good mood like wow. that's that's good for me to know that that's there. Okay, you know, you're... to know that I like, can go. You know what? Fuck, my day's been really bad. There's a shower. I'm gonna go take off my clothes. I'm gonna get wet, and then I'm gonna be back in five minutes, and I'll be okay. Right. Like, to me, that's the same as Superman changing in a yeah, fucking telephone literally. Booth because I didn't have that before. Yep. Before I was just in a hole, reaching up with nobody to grab. Like, you know. And you... now I have different things. I know that. Dad, day sucks. There's nothing going on. It's rainy outside. It's crappy. You know what? I'll listen to Joe Rogan podcast. I'll pick with him and a comedian. Right. You know, if I want to hear yeah. something that's just funny the whole time. Or I'll hear something with you when I want to think, when I'm cerebral, when I'm outside smoking cannabis and enjoying the day. Like, it's just, 
there's so much stuff to choose yeah. from and it's all free. Right. Yeah, that's the beauty. That's yeah, the beauty now that you get so much. I mean, I remember, I'm sure, you know, when you grew up, like for me growing up, I remember the options out there pretty fucking limited when oh, it comes yeah. to, you know, if you find one book on a topic that you're interested in, may even be the crappiest book on earth, but you go like 10 miles to find it in a particular bookstore and you get all excited and it costs a shitload of money and it's like, it's a big deal. Now you can find anything you want. Oh yeah, for me before it was like, it was a big deal. My dad take me to the bookstore. I could buy Black Belt magazine. When yeah, I was yeah, eight exactly. Or nine years exactly. Old, you know? And then you got to peruse through the things and then you get to read some of the yeah. articles and some of them don't make any yeah, sense exactly. to you and that kind of stuff. And now... I watch my kids, man. My, my son, he's into pitching and stuff. Mm-hmm. He goes on to YouTube. He looks at yep. you know mechanics. He does Find all this stuff, stuff. And he's, I mean, he, he teaches me how to do shit when it comes to technology yep. stuff. Hey, I have Apple Radio. Now I think that's like the greatest thing ever because I can fucking listen to whatever I want. Now I know why the Beatles are cool. Right. I didn't, I didn't have the money to buy <laughs> right. the, the albums before, you know, but... Now I can listen to anything. On the way down here, I was listening to shit that I never heard right. before. Um, but it's just... Like you have access to whatever you want, and I think that in a way that's kind of scary because kids yeah. are like, my kids are like, if they, you don't get them the show that they want to watch, they're pissed. You right, know? It's right. like, I want the shit I want. I want yeah. Powerpuff Girls or whatever. Right. I don't want. Now, yeah, episode, it's not like us. Yeah. There's, I grew up. There's three channels. Yeah, exactly. Like, where you get? Well, Ninja Turtles comes on once. If you missed it, fuck, you're fucked. Yeah. You know. I always tell. Uh, so I had a cracks up on my. Uh, on my uh, sad Daniele story, like growing up when I did not have money for video games, mm-hmm. and so but I had money for the magazine where they review video games, so uh-huh. I would buy the magazine, oh, yeah, yeah. so I would then read it, imagining what it's like to play the video <laughs> game, <laughs> and that was like my was the shortcut, right? That was my way to play video games, but yeah, no, I mean, it's like it's and of course, yeah, with options, you're right. Sometimes people, if you don't know anything else, you take them for granted and you can kind of spoiled when you have a lot of oh, options. Yeah. But again, it's better to have lots of options and then figure out a way not to take stuff for granted yeah. than have no options, which just yeah. sucks where there's nothing to... And music's therapeutic too. Like, I mean, I got in, I, I heard Jason Silva talk about taking, like when I first started doing cannabis, I heard he came out with some deal where he was like THC plus um, Hans Zimmer. Hmm. Hans Zimmer, the guy that does all the uh, com- composer yeah, yeah, yeah. work stuff for like... Uh, the big thing that he did was Inception for Time, yeah. time by the Inception movie. Um, so he put on his deal, like, consume cannabis and, and listen to this, walk in nature, yeah. right? So I live next to a mission. I live next to the Law Prism mission. So fuck, I started doing it. And I was like, wow, this is seeing this the is world working. through a whole other yeah. eyes. And then I start, like, I just was in a position where I was just so stuck in my room and worried about, all kinds of stupid shit. You know, I watch football, I drink beer, I fucking... Now, I don't care about any of that bullshit, but before, right. that was my world, you know? Yeah. And now, and I failed to see that there was a beach five minutes from my mm-hmm. house. I failed to see that there was a mountain range behind yep. my house. And so now, I take advantage of that much That's more than awesome. anything. So it's just switching the frequency, but I think that people, vets in general, need to realize that there's a shit ton more options out there than just that. You know, and there's a lot of things that may seem kind of corny. You know, love cures everything but it sounds corny to most guys you yeah know? but then and i think that's also where it helps who's saying it because you mm-hmm. know if you find somebody who has been to some ivy league school studying the books telling you this stuff it's mm-hmm. like well fuck off you know yeah. it's like what do you know if somebody who has been through the same things they have been tell you that stuff okay that's a different story yeah. that's it's like 
you there's that you are one of us kind of sense where you quite, if you have been through a lot of shit you have earned the right to certain certain stuff yeah whereas if you haven't there's the feel maybe you're saying all the right things but people don't believe you because they have the feeling like ah what do you know it's like you have never been there you haven't experienced that stuff it's like you live in a la la world you don't know what it's like you know and it's through you know it's not true because maybe they are giving you some really good tools but it is true in one sense where you're like yeah i'm sorry you haven't earned the credibility for me to actually believe that you got it is hard because a lot of the guys that you're asking you're asking them to open up to things yeah. that are incredibly hard to talk about like i mean i have people that come up to me all the time that see me on live to tell that were like Man, I was crying when you were saying this. And yeah. I'm like, that's not even the hard shit. Right, that's not the right. shit I'm dealing yeah. with. That's the shit I was willing to talk about on TV. Yeah. You know, like for me, you know, I've had close friends die. I've had yep. all these things happen that, that constantly eat at me every every holiday. You know, like my buddy Marcus that passed when he was trying to save Marcus Luttrell, you know, and go there and pick them up. His daughter was, her birthday was fourth, born on 4th of July, you know, right. and he was killed like a couple of days before that. I yeah. had to go fly to the other side of the country and have a birthday party for yeah. her. Yeah. And all she wanted to see was her dad again. Of course. And I'm supposed to tell her that she's never going to see him again. Like, right, yeah. And so that's the kind of shit that eats at me. You know, when everybody else is doing fireworks, like I'm thinking about that. Yeah, of you course. Know? And so... And every single holiday I've had is something like this. I've spent fucking Easter in eating a... a a sandwich next to a guy who had 60 stab wounds in him when I was a cop, you know, like right. because I was watching the body I had to tell his wait for his parents to show up from their Easter dinner. So I could tell him their kid was dead. Damn. You know, yeah. there's a shit ton of stuff that I've had to deal with. And that's just a daily shit for me. You yep. know what I mean? Like I, right. if I had to list all the things that it, it'd be too much. Yeah. So I just concentrate on moving forward now. And, but I, that's, I think in some way, if you're going to find a silver lining in horror, there's the fact that when somebody's dealing with some what they think is heavy shit, and you're like, oh, yeah. sure, you know, and yeah. you can start opening it up and talking about the stuff, then it, you don't even have to tell somebody, hey, check yourself, it's not that bad. They automatically do it yeah. without anybody having to tell them because they compare it and they're like, oh, and you're still standing and you're in one piece and yeah. you are functional. Okay, so maybe let me reevaluate re my victim, poor me, molded. I was having that conversation the other day. There was somebody, somebody was telling me, there was a student at Castellombic, and she was having clearly a shitty day, and she was very emotionally wrapped up in her whole thing, and she was obviously I've been crying and stuff. And, and again, the fact about pain is that it is relative. It's kind of like lifting weights. You know, mm. if all you have lifted in your life are five pound weights, when you try to lift seven pound weights, it's heavy. Yeah. It is heavy. Somebody was lifted 30 seven pound weights, they use it like the maracas. You know, it's not a big, it doesn't, yeah, it's, it's not, it's, but for that person, like it's silly. Like some people sometimes dismiss it as, oh, what you're dealing with is bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit for them, yeah. you know, for what they have been through, for their emotional capabilities of the moment. It's a lot. So don't dismiss it. Take it seriously. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, while you're taking it seriously, you also give a wind of what else is out there. And, you know, so I, I wasn't I, even trying to do it intentionally, but a couple of six came up and the girl was like, her boots started shifting because she was like, Okay, so maybe I shouldn't bitch about life. You know, there's there's a lot more out there. And it's like, yeah, you're just having a bad day. I get oh, it. Yeah. It's not fun, but it's not really a big deal, you know? Yeah, and I think it's easy sometimes to get caught up, like I said, get caught up in little stuff. But by no means, it's easy for people to look at me too and go like, you've been through so much. And I've seen little kids and yep. I've seen people that have been through way much exactly. more shit than me, you know? So it's like, 
you mentioned earlier about you know people having to be the person that kind of stands up and say this, and I I don't want to. I never looked into being the guy who is going to go, hey, look, fuck the government, fuck all this right. shit. We need to take care of ourselves. I never thought that I would have to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is, there's a shit ton of us that don't have a voice. Right. And because I come from a place where I'm highly decorated, and I do, I was a ranger, and I there ain't nothing that anybody can say that they've done more or sure. you know. What I mean, it's kind of one of those things where it's like I found myself in a weird position where, yeah, I'm an ex SWAT operator, I'm an ex ranger, right. I'm an ex narc cop, I'm an all these things where I've got to see life differently, yep. and I'm coming back now saying, look, this isn't all that it's cracked up to be. This isn't what you think it is. Right. Uh, war is not cool. Putting people in prison because they use drugs is fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've these people need help. There's things that need to be revamped in the world. And if you can't see that everything is based upon money, it's like it's get it gets ridiculous. But there are it, there's a need for people like me with this background to come out. I mean, you see it around. You see guys like Michael Woods Jr. from Joe Rogan podcast mm-hmm. coming out and talking about Baltimore police. You see guys like Jocko coming out and talking about stuff. You see people, but we're not really having this conversation. We're mm-hmm. having the conversation about, look, police injustice is bad in this country. We're having the conversation that we need better leaders and people need to take accountability. We're having all these conversations, but nobody's going like, look, there's a whole bunch of fucking people sleeping on the street right now right. and have no idea what where the next meal comes from. And we have already turned our back on these people. Uh-huh. And we're asking them, like, hey, if you need help, come and fill out all this paperwork. My buddy's blind. How's he going to yeah. fucking fill out paperwork? Right. You know, my buddy doesn't have a leg anymore. How's he going to get himself yeah. down to... You know, I have to go down to the VA hospital. Well, the VA hospital is six, six hours away. Well, how the fuck am I going to get there? Yeah, I don't have course. a car. I don't right. have money. I don't have shit, right? So there needs to be somebody, I guess, that stands up for it. And as much as I don't want to be that fucking person, mm-hmm. I'm will. I don't have a flag. I don't have a flag to, to salute. Sure. I don't. I don't have a boss. I don't have nobody. I can say whatever the fuck I want whenever right. I want. And so that puts me in a in a position where I have this really weird background that's unusual for most folks. And then I present like a stoner, but yet at the same time, it's like I, I have been there and yep. I see it. And so. I think that people that are in my position that are finally turning away and, and making that redemption in their life will come back and explain it because people can learn from it because I know that there's a lot of people that were stuck right where I was at. So where do you see it? Like now, you are clearly in a whole lot of a better place. You have a lot of tools in your belt in terms of things that you can access for. What do you see? You know, you started your podcast. That's an awesome thing. Is there a particular vision that you have of something you want to manifest into the future? Is there... Um, eventually, I would like to move towards... Well, kind of what, what you were trying to start on mm-hmm. on the... I don't know. Was it GoFundMe or... Was yeah, it... yeah. There's actually... We're going to have a meeting probably tomorrow with... I actually... With... When I... It took me seven years to get any benefits from the VA. So mm-hmm. having some financial stability has helped me a bit. Of but course. when I first got my lump sum, I actually looked at your deal. I was like, I'll pay five grand to get on a <laughs> drunken towel. So I end up here for free, you know, whatever. Right. It's kind of trippy. But I want something like that. I, would, yeah. I expect that at some day maybe I can either get with um, the, the Indian casino where we're at or also raise money via, who knows, it may end up being something from cannabis. It may be some sort of clean source for us to start something for vets where we can have a holistic healing center where it's right. martial arts based float tanks um cryotherapy yep. um plenty of places to talk to learn to cook to learn to eat to learn to farm yeah. to learn 
to use plant medicine, where we could put on um, where we could put on symposiums, and we can bring in writers, and we can say, hey, look, there's outlets for these stories, there's outlets for this stuff, and I think that me and a few other guys are kind of working that together, and we're I eventually seeing that that come out, but. I think the podcast will connect some people, yeah. um, and hopefully, I would like to eventually have like a network. I have a podcast studio at my house, so it's mm-hmm. kind of like anybody could come over yeah, wherever yeah, they want. Course. And we, you know, I have plenty of plants and plenty of all that stuff to, to nice. loosen up the conversation. And then, you know, I think that a lot of us can learn from this. So I like to. I, I'm just enjoying the ride right now, which is fucking something I've never been able to do for a long time. <laughs> Honestly, doesn't like, that feel good? Yeah, it feels right. good to be able to experience joy like normal yeah. people, to be able to be happy where you're at. It's, um, and, you know, I have bad days. Every day is a fight. Of I wake up every morning in a bad mood. Every day I wake up from nightmares. Every day, But it's just, this gives me something. I go, okay. It's like, it's like almost when you come out of a psychedelic trip, you realize that's really not, it's not going to stay like that forever. Mm-hmm. And that's where life has now become the greatest psychedelic trip for me. Right. And I just learn to play it like a video game and I can level up and I can do whatever I want. Right. And I learned that through you guys, through the podcast still, through Joe Rogan, through all these folks that are going like, look, you can take a different route. And I needed that. I needed somebody to go, look, you don't have to be like everybody right. else, but you do need to take care of yourself. Yeah. And so when you come up with your own personal method, then you can then start to form your own personal constitution. And we then realized that a lot of the shit that governs us are pieces of paper written down, you know, a long times ago that we don't necessarily need to, um, we should question things. Of course. And also realize the long arm of the VA or Uncle Sam or whatever, they ain't coming to get you. Right. They're fucking over, you know, they're they're over their head with shit already. Just take care of yourself. Absolutely. And if you live in a place where like if you're a vet and you don't have access to cannabis or whatever because you live in Oklahoma, move. Right. What the fuck already enough? I mean, yeah. I get so many things from people like, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You're going to fucking die if you do keep doing what you're yeah. doing. You keep drinking every day. You keep taking benzos every day. Eventually, it's going to catch up to you. Right. I mean, I watch my guys, my buddies, some of them have, it's not been fun helping those vets. I've had vets steal from me. I've had vets um, fucking, you know, tell the cops that I gave them stuff. I've had vets have do all kinds of shit. But on the other side, I have vets that have completely changed their life around. They went from being the asshole, overweight like me. I was 60 pounds heavier than I am today. Mm-hmm. you know. And it just solely just changing my diet, changing the way I live, the way I think about things. Um, you know, When you start taking on books and you start taking on content, you start getting a different way to look at things. Right. And so I had encouraged people to go do that. You know, Before you... Sure, if you want to do the pills and you, you're on pills now and you need to titrate yourself off or whatever you need to do, great. But I quit pills, cold turkey, with cannabis, and I'm living proof that it can be done. Right. Um, there's all kinds of other stuff. You look at iboga, you look mm-hmm. at ayahuasca, you look at psilocybin sure. mushrooms. They all have the capacity to change everything, all your lines of thinking. Right. You, know, you have one LSD trip and see what happens. You're going to think better. you think clearer. you think... And all these things have been demonized. Mm-hmm. I was a cop. I arrested people for it. I'm not proud of that to this <laughs> right. day. Um, I see people in the store now, and I tell them, hey, I, I'll walk right up to them. I shake their hand. I say, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize for doing that. I, I bought into a system. Yeah. I was doing my job, and that's no. there's no excuse for that. Um, so the options are there. Like I said from the beginning, everybody has a choice to do whatever. We're free men in a free country, supposedly, right? So... I love it, and I'm. I really. I'm curious to see where it goes because I like the place where you're at, and I like the ideas. So I'm very curious yeah, to I'm, see where I'm you take it. I'm interested in grabbing guys and hey, I'll make 
you know, if we have to make our own A team, our own version right, of the right. expendables or whatever, you know, we have highly, highly um, trained professional guys that are sitting around all dispersed. Right. And I think that's the way the government wants us. Right. They want us to have no power. Mm-hmm. They want us to feel down about ourselves. But when we recognize that we do have value and that we're all proven learners and that we're all been to places that and faced adversity that most people can't handle, then we can stand together and we right. can go, look, we take care of each other. Most of us are driven by taking care of other mm-hmm. people. We're not driven by our own right. personal needs. Of course, it's a lot easier when you do it. Yeah, for I go to jujitsu because yeah. I know, like, like, oh, well, somebody's counting on me to be there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, that's sort of one of those things. Yeah. You, you make your training partners better, or you know, whether it be whatever. It's it's all it's Beautiful. all about sharing and all that stuff. That's awesome, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's good stuff. Anything else you want to throw out there? No, I We're just. Good. I think that uh, is, like I said, it's an honor to meet you. Two years ago, I just got into podcasting. (laughs) Here, you know, it's kind of, I'm living in a dream. I like it. That's a good feeling. There's hope after all that other shit. I like that a lot. Thank you. Well, with that, I continue my notion that if, if, if George W. Bush doesn't have to change bedpans at Walter Reed for the rest of time, then there is no justice. <laughs> right. I know these guys are trying to play nice with everything, but goddamn, these veterans deserve what they were promised. And it's amazing how, even back to the Revolutionary War, these guys do their duty, end up getting fucked by the government over and over and over that's again. That's the nature of the business, right? All right, that's enough of my whining, but damn, does it piss me off. Yeah, no, that's a fact. That's how it is. Let's throw... What do we need to throw out there? Amazon link. Please use it. You guys know what to do. Use our Amazon link. doesn't cost you an extra dime. It helps us. Taoist Lecture Series. They are out there. Seven hour plus. The link is in the episode notes. If you want them, go get them. Affiliates, Audible, Coracao Chocolate. Again, you guys know the drill because we say it every time, so I won't waste your time. But if you find yourself in need, here is your reminder. Um, thank you to Daisy House for the music, the always glorious Drunken Taoist team, which is badass. And I think it's the time to mention the sweet folks who have donated some of their hard-earned cash to the continuation of the Drunk and Taoist podcast for the future time. A, a lesson many listeners could learn from. Let the pottering begin. So we give our thanks to Terry McLennan, Jonathan Waterloo, Stephen McKee, Maurizio Mezzatesta, Alexander Kuzner, David Peterson, Aaron McLaughlin, Samuel Jones, Lisa Robles, Chris Talent, David Peterson, and William Tatto. A lot of repeat names in there, folks. Yep. And we sure appreciate it. You guys are awesome. If I did not get your name, uh, you did donate and I did not get your name, there's a possibility that I may have archived it as a History on Fire donation because PayPal is not always the clearest on which is which. I think I got them all, but if that's the case, please let me know and I shall whip myself. So just, you know, email me or something and I shall profusely apologize. If you find yourself bored, you now have the opportunity to call Sweden anytime you want. It's a country with its own phone number and 45,000 Swedish ambassadors ready to chat with you at any time. So 
when you find yourself bored and lonely, go to the Swedish <laughs> number. They'll funny. chat about anything. Uh, they'd love to tell you about their country. Apparently, they all work at Ikea. But um, it's kind of the funnest thing. And, and it's no charge other than like a, a light cell phone charge. It's just usage time. Uh, no international crazy dialing or anything. And you dial it up and Sven's from Sweden says hello. And we'll be happy to talk about anything you like to. That's a bizarre tale. I, I know. So the know Swedish that. number. There you go. Check it out, everybody. That's cool. all I got. Cool, guys. You have a very good day. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. Maybe I don't want to hear this. No, you don't. <laughs> in questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're out. Okay, sorry. So that's so. Let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me you about. Translate for me, please. I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work.